0: Hi Venters, welcome back to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I'm your host Freddie Cocker and this podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone but especially men and boys can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. Each pod I check in with a special guest. We have a natter and a chat about all things mental health as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. My special guest for today's episode is a legend of a man called Dean Corney. Dean is a firefighter and the co-founder of Walk and Talk 999, which is a men's walking group in the UK for any man in the emergency services to walk and talk about their mental health if they want to and be met with empathy, trust and understanding. The group was set up in 2018 by four women and two men, including Dean, who realised there weren't any support groups for firefighters specifically to talk about their mental health. On 21st September 2021, the group did their first ever walk round a local park near their station and 11 brave men turned up. Since then, the group has grown exponentially, with 13 walking groups now set up across the UK. Because of its success, Dean now operates the group full-time, such is the level of expansion that's taken place. The groups have now expanded to include any man from an emergency services background who can attend, and they have had letters of praise from His Royal Highness Prince William the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, and support from celebrities like Dr Alex George and Joe Wicks. In this episode, we discuss Dean's journey into firefighting, the stress and strain that the job puts on men like him, as well as the purpose it gives him when he has to save lives. We also talk about the camaraderie amongst his fellow firefighters and actually how the lionisation of firefighters from well-meaning friends, family or members of the public can put more pressure on men like him when it comes to disclosing when they are struggling with their mental health as a northeast london man i was also fascinated to learn he worked on putting out the huge fire that engulfed wandsworth flats in 2018 and we discussed that event as well as other jobs he has had to work on or seen other colleagues be affected by for dean's mental health 11 years ago he struggled with depression which developed into an eating disorder and he lost a huge amount of weight in a short period of time we discussed the stigma he faced in the job and outside the job which prevented him from addressing it seeking support and recovering the progress he has made since then, and the role he holds in helping other men like him. So this is how my conversation with Dean Corney went. <music> Dean, welcome to the Just Checking Pod. Thank you so much for letting me check in with you and coming to my flat in North East London to record this. I absolutely loved our chat off air and. Any friend of Matt Gravelling, friend of the pod, is a friend of mine. So thank you for coming over. How are you, mate, first of all?
1: Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Traffic was light today, so nice, easy run. So yeah, not not stressed out already, which is good. <laughs> Always a good start, mate, For especially for a pod like this. I've wanted to have someone
0: like you on the podcast for a long time and i'm really keen to show my listeners not just the reality of being a firefighter but also how they can support someone in their life who might be an emergency service worker whether that be a firefighter or a police person or maybe someone even in the nhs so especially when it comes to the right things to say and the wrong things to say as we'll find out and you'll tell me for sure so without further delay are you ready to start the show yeah yes yeah, crack on <music> Let's start your podcast by talking about your journey as a firefighter, as you've already done so much in your life with it. So first of all, what inspired you to be one? Because I'm sure there's a lot of kids who grew up wanting to be one and playing games and how did you make the transition from that into doing it and uh, making the dream a reality basically?
1: Yeah, I think I'm probably a bit different to most people that join any service. A lot of people you speak to always wanted to get in whatever service it was. Or had
0: family members maybe or something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah. yeah, well I never ever thought of it. I never considered it. It was never on my radar. I used to work in an office. I didn't really enjoy being cooped up inside and that. But never knew what I wanted to do. But I've got a cousin, a bit, a little bit older than me, that was already in the fire service. And whenever we used to see each other at family gatherings or when we're out and about, he used to always say to me, "You need to join the job. You would love it. You'll, you'll be well suited." What did he recognise in you? Do you think then? I don't know. I think we're quite similar in our way of thinking and that, and you know, quite outdoorsy and. Yeah, and whenever I used to speak to him, you know, he'd talk about his work, I'd talk about mine, and I always used to say, you know, I don't really enjoy it. And he just said, why don't you try, the fire service goes, you know, I'm in it, been in it for a number of years and I love it. Best decision I've ever made. And mm. I think you'd really enjoy it, you know, the whole aspect. So at that stage. Easier said
0: and done though. I mean, it's not just a quick, easy application. No, is it? no, no. It's
1: quite, and again, I was I was quite fortunate because a lot of people go might go through the process, you know. The process, you know, you've got to apply then if you're lucky enough to get to, there's certain stages. Physical tests and stuff as yeah, well. And yeah, like you, you do some, some tests like maths, English, you know, certain other things. You know so I sort of applied just really I went sort of traveling for a year and come back and thought I don't want to go back to doing an office job so I thought he kept telling me how good it was so I applied and my, my wife when I applied I sort of said to her at the time you know if I fail at any stage I probably wouldn't reapply because at, mm. the, at the time I, I didn't have that passion which most people have um, and but, the
0: persistence for it yeah, yeah. yeah so I
1: thought you know if I don't hit the grade then I'll look at something else where some people you know Try a few times to get in because it's what they always want to do. I was very fortunate that somehow I managed to get through, and it was the best decision I've ever done. Best Mm. job in the world. I love it. I'm glad I did do it. I wouldn't want to do anything else. And how did you feel when you got your
0: certificate or whatever it is to say you're now a fully fledged firefighter? Given the dislike you had of your office job and and making Mm. that full transition.
1: Yeah, it was just really exciting. Obviously, because you go through your training school for back then. I think it was twelve weeks. You know, which is quite intense because you're learning. It's a big learning curve, you know, mm. you're learning a, a whole new way of life, a whole new skill set. And then, yeah, when when the day comes and they say, you know, you qualified, you've passed and, you know, you have your passing out parade and, that, and you get given the certificate and say, right, well, it's real now, you're going to station. Yeah, it's quite daunting because mm. obviously now it's real, I'm going to do it for real. And, <laughs> it hits you, I imagine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you see, you know, all your life, you see police, fire, you know, ambulance shooting around, you know, on their machines. And now you sort of think, I'm about to do that. Mm. You know, so it's quite the
0: responsibility, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: exciting and a, a bit daunting to start with, like any job, I suppose. Mm. Any job you go into.
0: And, and how much of a proud moment was it for your parents, perhaps your wider family, to see their son was
1: a, was a firefighter? Yeah, I think massively proud. I mean, you know, we're very fortunate in the fire service. We're always sort of put on that pedestal where. You know, when you tell people what you do, we'll as talk about job. the pedestal as well. Yeah. Because there's pros and cons of that. Yeah, too, yeah. well, yeah. there is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you know, it's a proud job. It's always a proud job. You know, you're always very proud of telling people. So yeah, my parents are really proud. But on the side, you know, they're very worried because mm-hmm. for what, you know what you envision if you're not in the service, what you're now signing up to. You know, the nature of the job. Yeah, it's not helping cats out. Yeah. A, it
0: cats out our window. It's, no, it's that's real it. life yeah. and death situations. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think
1: my mum found it and still finds it very hard. She still worries. You know, because you know. It does come with a certain amount of that, Mm. you know.
0: And do you sort of pick and choose like what you tell her as well? Because you don't want her to
1: worry, but at the same time, you don't want her to just not know anything and be completely in the dark about what you do. I think anyone in the service, you'll find don't really talk that openly about the traumatic stuff we Mm. do. You know, there's a little bit of that respect thing, you know, you don't want to upset someone that doesn't really know what to do. You don't want to worry them. And... Also, there's an element of you know people won't really get yes. what you're going through. So to be honest, we don't really, as a service, tend to talk too much at home about that. That's why mm. it's important to talk to each other. And have that release valve and find yeah. it.
0: Because if you don't have the release valve, if you suppress things which you need to be getting out, then it can end really badly, especially
1: for someone doing a job as dangerous as yours at times. Yeah, I think yeah. in all walks of life, you know, any stresses, any pressures, anything people go through, if we keep it in if we bottle it up if we think we can't or don't want to talk about it i think it can be you know detrimental to to your health to your mental health and can affect you long term just tell me and the listeners about work life balance because you know like
0: a lot of service jobs when it comes to the emergency services you're on shift you're on call you know fires don't <laughs> fires don't pay attention to uh, what time of day they happen no. do you know what i mean so you know, just tell me about that, and having to be alert when you're on shift, and just having to maybe kind of switch on at the, you know, the touch of a phone call or, yeah. or alarm.
1: Yeah, it, it's a strange, strange job, and you do get more used to it. But definitely early days when I started going from that zero to like a hundred miles yeah. an hour. because yeah. like, it is like that. You know, you'd be sitting there, you might be, you know, having your dinner. Then all of a sudden, the lights, you know, the bells go down, and then we're then kicking into gear. You know, and we're literally we are from that to out crossing the threshold of the station all on the fire truck all dressed they time it you're out of it in like 60 seconds or less mm-hmm. you know that's a very short time to be from yeah. relaxing to yeah i mean
0: fireman I sab used to kind of uh, dramatize it in a little bit of a fun way but it's yeah, actually yeah. a pretty, it's a pretty yeah, it dramatic be. moment yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah. yeah definitely i know you can't go into huge details about this i wouldn't want you to but you've obviously dealt with a lot of fires in your time other traumatic events in your career then can you just give me a few examples of those, how you deal with them in that moment and, and how you process them afterwards. Yeah,
1: I think sometimes in our job, you know, we're very lucky in the fact that, you know, we've got ambulance, we've got police. So our job, you know, is normally go out there, get people out of the situation. Then we are quite... You know happy.
0: your job, isn't it? It's quite direct, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And you sort of, you know, with a lot of it, you hand the casualties over to the ambulance yes. after. So they deal, you know, it's the stuff they deal with. I I look at, it. like people say to me, I couldn't do the job you do. All respect to like ambulance, police mm. and that, because... You know, when we hand over, you think, oh, you know, you've got the real hard part of it. But a lot of times, I think you, with our job in particular, your task-focused. So you, your training kicks in. You know you've got to do it. So, you know, you've got to go Very practical. Yeah. yeah. So you, you sort of do it. It's, it's only really afterwards sometimes you sit back and then you think about what you've just done, where sometimes you might have that bit of a wobble or that bit mm. of realisation. Actually, that was, you know, that's quite... When upset. autopilot mode stops, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. when you sit down. Because yeah, I've, I've, over my career, I've done many things where afterwards I've sat and gone, oh, blimey, and then thought about afters. But at the time, you know, your trains, and a lot of it, you know, you've got to think, you're there thinking, people are lying on you. You're the you've only You've got a lot of things go- to decide go- yeah, here, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sometimes you're the only help going. Mm. Now, I always remember years ago, one of my governors said, if we don't go in, then no one's going in. So, mm. you know, you've got that. And yeah, at the time, it's a real weird feeling that, like a lot of people say, how, how do you do that? How did you do that job? And really, like I say, you, you almost, you trained so well, you trust your, your crew, you trust your equipment, your training, that, that all kicks in, and like I say, it's only normally afterwards when you sit down and you start trying to process it that maybe you get that bit of a wobble, that bit of a realisation, mm. you know?
0: You spoke about trust there, and how important is that for trust? I mean, like, it must be similar to, say, people in the Army or the Navy or the Royal Air Force who have to have that trust in
1: the brother or sister alongside them, because it is, they are relying on them for their life. Yeah, you are. And literally, you do at some stages. You know, you go in to a fire as a crew of two. You've got to rely on that person going into you that they're going to have your back. And if you know something goes if wrong, if you fall, yeah, they, they gonna, pick they're you gonna up get and you if out they fall, there, you, know? you pick them up. Yeah, yeah. If, if I, do, you know, you're my way of getting out. You know, if I struggle, mm-hmm. I've got to rely on you to get me out. And you know, that's what you build over time. You know, we, we we're almost living together at station, mm-hmm. and you do build that trust. We're training all the time, so we can see. If people, you know, are well trained enough and, you know, their competency and that, and you you trust that. So when you go out, you know, the crews I've worked with, no doubt, you know, I would, you know, trust them with my life. And how special does it make that bond then? Because, you know, a lot of people have work relationships and work friendships, but you're almost on another level, really. Yeah, it does become a second family. Like I say, with our job, you're there so much with each other at station, station life, that you have to get on and we do get on and we do rely on each other. And you know, externally, my watch, I've known them a long time. We all socialise externally. We all know each other's wives, husbands, kids. We go out, we have barbecues with each other, Christmas dues, you know. So it's not just work, we socialise externally as well. So it mm. is like a second family. The stat I found quite shocking is you told me your fair that an
0: average firefighter in the service can potentially experience anywhere from 300 to 600 traumatic events in their career. So given those numbers, Are you surprised that the mental health issues or difficulties in the service aren't worse than they are? Because you need a serious amount of mental strength
1: to process that and deal with it and
0: Go about your life,
1: really. Yeah, I mean, them, them stats are like sort of across the board. So it's not just the fire, it's a police, ambulance. Okay, got you. It's just in general. In a thirty-year career in the emergency services, you can be exposed to anything between three to six hundred traumatic events in one shape or form. Yeah, I think we're in a better age now where it is more open. So I think it helps. It helps us process. It makes us realise. You know, people talking more more openly, and it does normalize it, whereas when I first joined the job, it was very close shop. you know, you didn't really talk about it, you you almost felt you had this chip in the back of your head from training school to say, it's a job I joined, I can't talk about it. You I know, know what like, I signed up for, yeah, sort of thing. This, and people say, you know job. what you signed up for. That's it, this yeah. is my job, how can I say I'm struggling? But I think as time's gone on, I've seen the change over time, where definitely as an organization, we're trying to encourage people to open up and say, mm. you know, if you need to take that time, it's not a weakness. It doesn't mean you can't do the job. It doesn't mean you're out of a job. It's a way to process it. And, you know, we're very lucky. We have, like, counselling, in the, in-house counselling and services. You know, we have a lot of signposting now. And there's a lot more coming through, definitely, off, like, the last few years. Mm. You know, particularly, you know, like what we're doing. There's a lot more options coming through. Mm. And I think people are gradually realising, actually, we're human. We're mm. not chipped just because I joined the job doesn't make it that I can't or shouldn't struggle I always say there's a difference between having to cope because it's the job I do and working away to cope Mm. and I think that's where some people get a bit misled with it they think it's a job I do I have to be alright with this well no you have to work away to be alright with it because it is the job you do but if that's counseling if that's talking to someone to opening up and showing vulnerability that's fine Mm. you don't have to be okay with it when you're off shift how
0: hard is it to switch off
1: yeah, I think you get better over the years. But I remember a few, like, well, quite a few years back. So, for example, at the station, when we get a shout, the lights come on. So they click on. There's a little click, lights come on. So you're almost up and ready. You're tuned to, you hear that click, we <laughs> up and going before the lights yeah. finish coming on. Before the, like the, um, you know. It's like you're t- out of bed before the alarm goes yeah, off. before sort the, of t- yeah. the tunnel is telling you that you've got a shout. You're almost on your way. And I always remember sitting at my, my in-law's house and they, they had a, a light on a timer. And I was sitting there chatting <laughs> and it come on. And it clicked, and I jumped out of my seat ready to go. Like as I was going a shout. And they went, What are you doing? I went, I think it's that stage I realised how tuned I was to it. And I remember another time at supermarket, the lights come on, and there was that click when the strobe lights come on. And I almost God. went into action. It's so almost like, it like a PTSD sort yeah,
0: of thing, it's, isn't you do, it? It like well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's
1: a bit strange sometimes. But no, but you, you learn coping mechanisms, you know, learn downtime. Obviously, it depends how busy your shift's been that week. Some things might take time in your own time to decompress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but in general, no. I think over time you sort of you can get you that. find a way. Yeah, 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 you do.
0: When we were chatting off air and arranging a record, mate, you told me that you worked on putting out the massive fire that engulfed Wansley Flats, yeah. which was a fair few years ago now. It happened in 2018. Just take me back to that day and and the work, the mammoth work. I imagine you and the crew had to put in to stop wanted flats essentially being ruined for quite a few generations yeah,
1: yeah. i mean one it made me realize wanted flaps a place i never heard of it till that point <laughs> uh yeah we got a chat in little old Beckenham, and you know we, we joined the crews that are already up here you know fighting the fire but anything like field related when fields cut is such hard work because it's water supply you know to put fire out you need water and when it's on that vast scale um, and was a hot day yeah, as well yeah, hot yeah day you know it's burning through and you know and people don't realize like you put water on top of something it's all the underneath as well so you almost have to turn it all over to get to the stuff underneath so it takes a long time and you know it's like a four it was a multi-day job that one yeah, wasn't it? I, yeah, remember it off, right? yeah. I mean we were there fighting it physically so you know you have as many fire engines and get as much water as you can but there's only a certain amount of water supply you can obviously get and if it's all coming off one hydrant then you've got to be careful not to take too much pressure so we had the hoses out but then what happens is the rescue crews are out of what we call beaters the basically sticks with material on and you literally you're hitting the flames to try and smother wow. mm-hmm. so you imagine the hard work and you're doing that for hours on end and then i came back we've got a specialist appliance called a hvp high volume pump which is really good because what it can do it can suck water out of streams rivers
0: you're probably getting it from the Thames, straight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you've
1: got you've got like um, some lake round here. That yes, we use, yes. And you know we've pumped it out there, and then so we can we've got the added help of that now, um, with you know technology enough where we can pump so much water down to the site mm. to put it out. But yeah, they're always very hard work and testing grass fires. That's why you know we do a lot of education and talking to people and schools. And they did it recently, I think, in a park in London. They went around handing out like being careful with barbecues and that because a discarded cigarette or even like an empty bottle. Someone throws that down, you know, with the sunlight going through it, radiating through it, can set fire. Mm. But then you see the devastation is caused by one little thing like that. Mm. You know, and it takes years to rebuild. And it's very sad for the environment, for your area, mm. you know, because once it's out, that's one thing. But you want it to come back, yeah. it green. And how
0: did you feel when the fire had been put out? Must have been a... I mean, you must have been celebrating for a week yeah, after yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> like
1: I say, because we were beckoning, you know, we did it one day. Went off, off duty. Obviously, we have been there for, you know however well, long we were there for, went back, you get changed up, you go home. We come back the next night. So now we're on a night shift and then yeah. But eight ago, you know, when we changed shift, they said, Right, you need to take the machine down to once did to do the water. We're like, Oh no we're here again. Yeah. So now were, we're there all through the night, which is fine, because it's a job we do, but obviously, you know, there's other things and other people need yes. us and that's yeah, so something yeah, like yeah. that. You just want it to get done as quickly as you can. So you can
0: work on other things. Yeah, yeah so yeah. you're
1: available for mm. everyone else. And that's that's always our main goal to get things done you know, as professional, quickly and safe as possible. So we're we're ready now if anyone else needs us. And that's always the frustration mm. sometimes.
0: I want to talk now about all the excellent work you do at Walk & Talk nine oh nine. So mm. you came up with the idea in 2018 with your five other co-founders. So four women and one <coughs> other man, not including yourself. So just tell me why you were all inspired to do it, how you came up with the idea of doing it in parks and the process behind the walks themselves.
1: Yeah, so back in 2018, this group of us, uh, like I say six of us, four wonderful women and two guys, we were all doing different things within the brigade, trying to make it better for people's mental health and, you know, talking to, you know, the powers that be, saying, you know, we need to offer more, do more. And then what happened was we put on an event at our head office, a mental health event, and it happened to coincide with, which is actually today's date as well, World Suicide Prevention Awareness mm-hmm. Day, which is today, 10th of September. It happened to coincide with that, so we had, like, my Samaritans guest speakers down. And it got us looking at the national suicide rates how many people sadly take their lives every year but then looking at it it was like 70% of that high number were men and it was conversation with the group they turned around like Sally and our group turned around and said Dean why do you men not talk you know why is it getting to this stage that this is the option so I got thinking about my own life, my own journey. I think I'm quite open about mental health. I'm quite happy to go up to someone, or a friend, or colleague, and sort of say to them, "You don't seem yourself today? Are you mm. okay?" To start that conversation. I never used to be like that, and a lot of people, you know, you realise their go-to is if they see someone struggling, they think it's none of my business. I don't want to pry. I don't want to upset them. So what
0: very we, English thing as well yeah, that is, isn't it? Yeah. So what
1: we do, we know someone's struggling, but we sit back and go, "I don't want to approach them." Leave I don't them upset it. them. Leave them yeah. to it. Yeah. But then I thought, actually, I've been on the other side that where I've struggled, I've been upset. And I've thought to myself, no one wants to see the crap I'm going through, the rubbish I'm going through. So what I do, I don't talk about it. Mm. I don't open up. So then you've got this this weird thing. And then I've learned going through my career, when I go up to people and say, you know, are oh, you okay? The amount of people in the service that then take that as permission to open up and talk. Mm. So I sort of looked at it and thought, do you know what? I'm not talking, and I think I'm quite open. And I look back at my life, you know, and I thought, am I as open with myself? And I thought, actually. You know what i'm not i remember for example 11 years ago i went through a stage in my life where i can acknowledge for about a year i'd say i was probably depressed it turned into a bit of an eating disorder for me i lost a lot of weight in a very short time i would said to my wife i was eating at work i'd say to the watch i was in home i just literally stopped eating i was going mm. to the gym trying to get out of my head so i look back at that time i think one why didn't i reach out and it was it's the age old stigmas in men isn't it it's the hunter gathering us the mm. man up attitude god forbid i show weakness But then I thought, even if I turned up back then and said, I'm ready to talk, where was I going to go to start that conversation? You know, most demographics in our job, and it's very good, have a group to go to that they've got shared characteristics with to start these conversations. At that time, men didn't. We were 90% men in the fire service, but we didn't have a group just for men to go to try and encourage it. And you need that. You need that. Yeah, Yeah. you've got to see it. You know, and a lot of people poo-poo talking, how talking going to help. But I learned the art of talking, you know, many years ago. I was struggling once. I thought it was just me. I went back to the watch, opened up to the watch, and said, Look, I'm really struggling. I don't know what's the matter with me because they've been on the same incident as me. They all turned around and said, I'm glad you said so. I've been struggling. But I thought everyone was else was all right. They thought I was all right.
0: Everyone had the mask on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And do you know
1: what it did? It got us all talking. And what it did, it normalised it. And it made, again, like I said earlier, it made me realise I'm human. Why wouldn't it bother you? Why wouldn't it upset me? You know, so I, I saw the art of talking, how me showing vulnerability and courage other guys on you. Mm. So, I sort of said to the group, we just need to get guys talking off from a safe space. So then we thought, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And our original idea, we thought like a AA meeting in a village hall. But then I sort of said, I'm not sure people would use that. Come into a closed environment not knowing who's behind that door, the, the pressure. The pressure, yeah. And I don't think that's going to work. We're not going to reach the people we need You need
0: to reach. set the pressure off with men when it comes to talking, don't you? You need yeah. to give them the space if they can, if they want to, but they don't have to. You don't have yeah. to, yeah,
1: exactly. And, and it's a closed environment. And sitting like, you know, eye contact with someone's quite intimidating. So luckily at the time, my office in charge, Sophie, her brother-in-law's a counsellor in the community. She was talking to him about, you know, what I was thinking. He rang me up and said, look, I've been leading a walk out of Greenwich Park for the last year for men in the community, trying to get them to talk, why don't you come along? So I went along to that for about five, six weeks, and just saw how life-changing it was, just offering a safe space for men, seeing how someone spoke, encouraged someone else. And the common theme with them was, whatever they were going through during the week, it was a little bit easier, because they knew, get to the Saturday, they were gonna be able to talk about it, whereas before, they couldn't. And here, a weird way, hearing other people struggle, makes you feel normal, makes Mm. you, actually, I'm not the only one struggling, because we're all putting this provider. So I basically come back to the group and said, look, it might not work, people might not turn up, but the old saying, if you help one person, you're doing your bit. So Mark, who kindly offered to help me, I said, worst case scenario, me and you meet up once a week, we have a coffee, we have a chat, it's good Mm. for us, we have a bit of an outlet, a bit of time down, best case scenario, someone joins us that we can help. And that's basically the idea we went into. We never thought of taking it, we never thought of it growing like it has. It just shows you the need. You know, it's scientifically proven being out in the open, breathing air, seeing sky, seeing greenery automatically promotes good feelings. So, without even talking, you're doing good for people. People are already feeling better. Now, mix it with a bit of a social, bit of exercise. And it's also walking side by side, like I said earlier, face to face. Eye contact's a bit intimidating walking side by side with someone, the fight or flight mechanism don't kick in as much. Mm. You're more open, you're more honest. We always say to people, next time you meet someone for a coffee, grab that coffee to go and go for a walk somewhere with them and you see how much better you feel after that and how easier the conversation flows and how more open and honest and better you feel after that rather Mm. than sitting in the coffee shop.
0: We're going to talk about the process in a second, but I just want to go back to the incident which, I guess, inspired the conception of the idea, which was the 2016 quarter tram crash, which you worked on, mate, and it deeply impacted you and possibly your colleagues as well, when you were re- where you were really, really struggling, perhaps even reaching breaking point. So what was it about the crash that took you to that dark place, and how did you end up turning it from this very big negative into a positive, which is walk and talk?
1: Yeah, well, I always sort of say, you know, jug analogy, everything you're going through in life goes into a jug. And if you have no outlet, if you keep it all in, eventually it's going to overspill. By having an outlet, it's like putting a tap on it. Every time you use that outlet, you're opening that tap up, you're letting a bit out. So you can put more life in there. And I think what happens over the years, because we don't talk about incidents, because we just normalise, well, it's part of the job, it's part of the job. I'm very guilty. I obviously hadn't talked about anything, so my jug was already filling up. Then I went to this unusual, you know, we do have traumatic events you know you've got the big events obviously sadly Grenfell you've got the tram, things like mm-hmm. that they're very few and far between in our career and they're actually in the
0: public consciousness aren't they because yeah. they're so sort of they're uncommon Yeah,
1: but they're very few and far between so for me that was one of the biggest things I've been to so it was a big unusual traumatic event but what I did, and what was scary as well, when I look back, I'd done a lot of studying at that point for mental health. I put myself through a lot of qualifications. I knew all the stigmas, all the places to get help and support all went out the window. So after that job, it was an overtime shout of us. We were running the initial appliances that turned up. I went home from that and I was like shell-shocked. And I'd sit at home with my wife. She kept turning around to me saying, you're acting weird, you're acting strange. You need to talk to someone. I knew she was right, and again, I knew Everywhere to get help. I, I, I'm telling people where to get help. Where you're not support. doing it yourself, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, was, it just scared me when I looked back, and I thought I just shut down. I didn't reach out. I didn't talk. I tried hiding it, and I fell into all the stigmas. I thought I've got to be all right with it because it's my job. I can't talk to my wife because, God forbid, I cry in front of her. She think I'm less of a man. I'm mm, thinking
0: that's a big thing for men yeah. thinking that. Yeah. And I was
1: thinking, will she leave me? Will she mm. think I'm weak, you know, and she wouldn't have done. But this is what was going through my head. Whether you know? it's
0: rational or irrational, it's in your yeah. it's in your mind. Yeah, yeah. That's it.
1: And I went back to work, and then all the stigmas again. To me, everyone else is coping, thriving, laughing, joking. So again, I'm thinking, well, it's obviously me that's got the problem. I know there's some dark humour in emergency cope. services as yeah, well. So yeah. <laughs> but that's it. And I just thought, well, I can't cope. You know, I'm having nightmares. I can't sleep. I can't. You know, I feel like I can't function. But it's obviously me because everyone else is. And then when I turn around to, them, in the end, I got to a stage where I couldn't cope, and I opened up to the watch and said, you know, you look all right, and I'm, I just can't get through this. They would turn around and said, I'm struggling. I thought you was all right. And then we spoke about it for a couple of hours, and I realised actually we'd all been struggling, but we was all putting on this bravado mm. that we was okay. None of us was, but by speaking about it and talking about the event and how we felt, and you know, it basically helped us process it. Did it feel and, cathartic for you? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? It literally felt like a physical weightlifting. Mm. You know, it's a traumatic event, so it will stay with me probably forever. But it helped me enough just talking about it to put me back on a good path again. So it stopped me getting to needing professional help. It made me, and again, it did what I tell everyone else. It normalised it. It made me say, I'm human. Why wouldn't it affect me? Mm. It's a traumatic thing. You know, things like this, we are human. And I think in any service, armed forces, you know, NHS, wherever you were, I think sometimes we need to sit back and go, do you know what? It's okay to struggle. And you know the saying, it's okay not to be okay. We all say it, but we need to take that on board and go, it is okay. We're human. You know, we're not chipped. We're not, as soon as we're trained, like my friends always say to me, you know, oh, you would be all right with this, you? that's the job you do. I'm like, I'm still human. <laughs> you know, that's still going to bother me. Mm. It's just, I need to work a way for it, me to get through it because otherwise, you know, I would struggle to mm. do this job.
0: I love the fact that when you do the walks, you talk to the men that come on them about their mental fitness. Yeah. Just tell me about how and why you made that language choice and does it make it more accessible to them as a subject almost?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, again, we always say to mental fitness, it should be just same treated as physical fitness, you know. And I think it, it's true, you know, your mental health is fitness. Is You need your brain to be fit, your your mental health should be fit, you know. And if it's not, you know, it's just a nice way to talk about it because, like I say, when you say mental health or, you know, people say mental health problems, you know, it's mm-hmm. it can be this scary world. But, you know, we should be treating it the same as physical fitness because it's exactly the same. It goes hand in hand a lot of times when you feel physically unfit a lot of time it can be because your mental fitness is struggling you know and we need to build that divide and get on the same wavelength and treat it as such
0: when it comes to the walks themselves you spoke about it a bit earlier but i've done two rounds of therapy called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy which involves a lot of blinks and taps and I spoke about the similarity of this to groups like yours with previous guest deborah powney and even someone like gary neville now uses a walk as an interview structure when he does the overlap which you might be aware of just tell me about how that rhythm of walking helps men open up in a way that like you said traditional sit
1: down yeah. therapy might not always work yeah, i think it's all to be environment it's i always say if you think about your life anytime you felt under pressure you know, a bit stressed. What's the first thing a lot of people do? They go out and get a bit of fresh air. They go for a little walk, clear their head. You know? That's the
0: phrase, isn't it? Yeah. Clear your head, yeah. And that's
1: exactly it. And do you know what it does as well when you go walking? You're away from all your distractions. So you're not in your phone. You're not being distracted by things around you. You're present. You're engaging. You're realising, actually, you know, it's, it's, it is it's a nice world. You know, you're seeing the sky. You're seeing greenery. But like I say, you're also walking side by side. So you haven't got the eye contact that's intimidating. You're not enclosed in an environment, you know. You're out in the open, you know, you don't feel that claustrophobia where you might feel indoors, you know, because you look around, you think, I can get away if I need to get away. You know, and also when you're meeting as a group, you know, like I say, you turn up to a closed environment. I don't know who's behind that door. It's quite intimidating. You go mm. to you go to an event. First, when you walk into that pub, or you walk into, it's quite nerve wracking, isn't it? But when you're walking into a field and you can physically see all your surrounding, it just lowers that fight or flight. Yeah, it just gets. I think it just gets a conversation. You know, you're, you're distracted from other things. Yeah, I just think it's just a nicer, calmer environment. Mm
0: one thing i found really lovely is when you told me off air that a lot of retired firefighters have come to the walks because they miss that camaraderie and they might be feeling isolated how have you seen it help them because as we both know mate although you've got the firefighting groups that are a really big source of support a lot of men really do struggle with loneliness
1: yeah and i don't even think it's always loneliness. i mean we get a lot of guys in the job that live at home alone and say oh this is a bit of a social for me but yeah the retired members were really bad in all the services you're sort of do 30 year career, whatever service you're in, because our walks are open to any service mm-hmm. you know, fire, police, ambulance so we get all walks of life coming. But the common thing is, you do 30 year career, you institutionalize, you use that way of life, you then get given a certificate. Thank you for your time. Now you're off living in the community, which is nice. But a lot of guys come back, some of them are struggling, but a lot of them come back and say, You know, I'm, I'm happy retired, but I miss talking to people that get the life I've lived, get the job I've done so they come back and say it's nice because I can talk shop. I can talk to guys here that understand sort of the life I've led Mm. whereas my friends in the community don't really get it and that's another reason you know we did think about opening our walks up to the community but that's another reason why we didn't because one we thought one we don't want to, you know, secondary trauma. We'd have to worry if we talk about something job related. Someone that's never done the job. That's what lately. I.
0: That's what I feel. Feel sometimes when I talk about a podcast, I yeah. do. <laughs>
1: that's it. You can't. It can affect job because you, yeah. you've never experienced that. You know. But also, people in the community are always very inquisitive. You know, they're very like. It's
0: interesting, isn't it? It's an yeah. interesting job,
1: like mine. Yeah. Well, the yeah. weird, weird one we always find, and you know, I talk to new recruits about. it, and say, so just prepare yourself for this question because, all my life, people have said it when they hear what you do. They go what's the worst thing you've seen? Yeah. And you go, why would you ask someone that? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm... You think, you think about so it, you, yeah. When you think about that question, it sounds normal, but then when you think about that question, you go, so you've just asked me now to try and recall every... And relive, yeah. <laughs> I've gone through and then work out which one's the worst one. You know, so we sort of think when people turn up, they don't want to be talking about that on the wall. And also, you know, if you talk about the job, people are very inquisitively, and rightly so. You know, I'd be the same. You know, you do you reckon they see out.
0: that as like your biggest achievement or something like that? Do you reckon that's the sort of know. angle?
1: I think if you've not done a traumatic job, and I was probably saying when I joined, you know like when people see something going on, like sirens yeah. on the side of the road, people always walk out, congregate and film because it's... Rubbernecking, uh, yeah, it's yeah it's when you're in your
0: car. You go past an accident, and it's, the yeah. traffic slows because everyone's
1: looking at the accident. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's it's just like they've never lived that life or lived that world or seen something like that. So like, what is it like to actually go and do this job? It's a bit like, I suppose, if I talk to a pilot, what's it like flying a plane? Mm. Shot anyone down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. or an astronaut, you know, what's it like landing (laughs) on the moon? You know, because you're never going to do that yourself, so you almost want to find out what it feels like. But also, you know, if I talk about a job, an incident, I can talk to a police officer, you know, someone in the NHS, ambulance service, and they will get what I'm talking about. I won't have to explain the scene, the setup. whereas like friends and family, you almost have to explain that whole scene. Layman's, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so it just wouldn't work. And we always signpost. We get lots of guys in the community contact us and there's lots of walks going on in the community anyway. So we've got a list and we signpost. So we always let people know what's available. So this isn't a new idea. There's lots of men's walks in the community. All we've done is tailored it the emergency services which has never been done a great idea is always something that's
0: borrowed and then yeah, made into a little bit better isn't different. it So, just tell me about the walks themselves because one thing that I found really clever you do is you take a picture after the end of every walk and put it on social media now this isn't for
1: the listeners just an excuse to take a picture just tell me <laughs> the deeper purpose of why you do that yeah, well, you know, we thought long and hard about it and how to make it more appealing. So there's a couple of reasons, and we always stay on the walks. It's no obligation to ever be in a photo, mm-hmm. so we always say, "Please don't let it be off." And some people don't, and yep. and and they're perfectly right not to. If they don't want to, they just step out at the end.
0: And some people don't like my like my Instagram post because they want to be seen <laughs> that they're liking a mental health post. But there you go. You
1: follow, you follow our page. Unfortunately, my my big heads at the front of our ones because they're all selfies. So I've tried to get some other people to take it. But yeah, the reason we do it is we thought, you know, if you see a poster. You might read it. You might pay attention to it. You see faces. It's just more engaging. You can put a face yeah, literally it to it. Yeah, it personalises it. It's well, vulnerability as well, as well, actually. Yeah. Exposing that vulnerability. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also, you know, was this saying is, you know, it's a great saying. It's okay not to be okay. But it's become, you know, a bit of a tagline, is not it? Mm. So we're saying that, but what we are doing to prove it? So the way I look at it, we're sticking to that. We're saying it is okay not to be okay. You know, we're, we're serving in whatever service we're serving, and we're putting our faces on, it, on social media to say, look, we're not ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed. Come down. It's not, mm. the, the stigma doesn't stop you. And the feedback we're getting, a lot of guys have turned up for it. So in Beckenham alone, we've had probably over 80 guys just at the Beckenham Walk alone in the last 18 months. And a lot of them, when they turn up, have seen it on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter, scrolling through, seen the face and gone, do you know what? I need a bit of that. I'm going to get down there. These guys are doing it. It is what's gotten down there. So we sort of prove that it does work. Yeah, it just it just I think personalise it a bit more mm. a bit more appealing.
0: You spoke about growth there and I want to talk about how you've expanded the walks because one walk is great. However, I know you didn't want to just stop there, despite your noble objective at the start, which is why I like <laughs> I had for Vent. Just tell me how you've expanded the group, reached more people, and you know, the the pressure you've got on as well, which is really great.
1: Yeah. When we started, it honestly was we never thought of growing it. You know, it's something out of our comfort zone. It was literally trying to help me and Mark that started it, we literally said, look, Probably no one's going to turn up. It'd be me and you just literally walking around down a road.
0: And 11 turned up.
1: 11 turned up on the first day, and none of it was organic. It was all guys I knew in my career Yeah, come along. Your network. Yeah, yeah, come to support us, basically. So we started the idea in 2018. COVID, various other reasons, we didn't get the first walk going until September 21. And that was because that was the date we, we was allowed... Get back out again, so yeah. So these 11 guys turned up, and when we do it, I won't go through the whole walk structure, mm-hmm. you can see it on our site if you want to see it. But we have a check in circle to start, and we always say there's no pressure at all, please don't feel obliged to. You. And if you don't want to, just we'll move around and mm-hmm. it's fine. But in that check in circle, I will start by talking about myself. We went round, and you go around, give everyone a chance to talk, and you really see it week in, week out. When other people hit, other people show vulnerability, saying about their struggles, what they're going through, it encourages people. So even in that, a couple of these guys I would say, you know, don't really open up. And I've known all my career. But even then, when you got around, they come out of stuff. And mm-hmm. as I spoke to them after. he said, blimey, I didn't know you going through. I said, yeah, I've never admitted that before. Went, actually, it felt really good to say it. And hearing other people say it. So we sort of learned day one, we were getting people talking that I didn't know were struggling. Mm-hmm. So we sort of proved it worked. Yeah, so fast forward. Yeah, we never thought we were growing. But what happened was, we had a couple of guys that turned up benefited from the walk, actually were on long-term sick, and called me up after three or four weeks of coming on the walk and said, do you know what? It's made me realise I want to be around people again. It's normalised it to me. I've met someone that was struggling like I was struggling. I'm ready to go back to work now. It's a long way for me to come because these guys were travelling like an hour and an hour and a half to get to us. Any chance you can help me out and walk in my area because I'd like to give a bit back. and Empowering them now, mate. Yeah. yeah. So we sort of went, yeah, okay. If you want to own one, we'll support you, we'll help you. As long as you stick with the same structure we do, because mm-hmm. we fought into the safeguarding aspect mm-hmm. for the walk mm-hmm. leaders and disclosures yeah, and all that. And, yeah, to yep. make it, you know, what we wanted it to be is relaxed and no pressure. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the big thing, you know. It, it's just a nice walk around the park. It's very simple. We have a check in circle, but no bells and whistles. No, but yeah. The essence is you're free to talk if you want, but you don't have to so they started then we had other guys across the country see us so Becky who's part of our group she's brilliant she's actually single handedly set up our website Mark who is part of our walk, he's a sister but she's done brilliantly on, on, on the website and she does all our Twitter stuff so if you go on Twitter it's all her handiwork and um, she said to me how are we going to reach more people let them know you're there in them." so I said I don't know she said she's a lot younger she went how about twitter let's go on twitter I scared the life out of me because i didn't even know what twitter was so i said well if you want to crack on so she went on that and the response we got within a couple of weeks on that people up and down the country contacting us saying have you got one in my area my husband my brother could do with this i could do with it our service could do mm. with this and a lot of people were ringing us saying can we join your charity we're like we're not a charity we're just one walking <laughs> apart we had like a guy called aaron from it's okay clothing he's a graphic designer for example he rang me up and said have you got you thought of a logo and, what do I need a logo for? We're just two guys (laughs) running apart, mate. But he had good vision. He said, this is going to grow and whatever you've got now, you'll be stuck with. I'd really like to design a logo. He was a guy in the community that had his own mental health struggles. He said, I was that guy that didn't reach out, you know, you know, nearly you know, ended my life. If you go on his site, it's okay, clothing You can read his amazing story. But he designed the logo. Bob's probably podcast guest, mate. Who yeah. knows? You know? <laughs> oh, get him on. He's, he's, he's amazing. He's the one that designed our logo. Brilliant. But he's had his own health struggles, you know. And the response, like the Firefighters Charity, called us, even to be on their radar. So, the Firefighters Charity, just very quickly, do amazing work for all fire services nationally they have recoup centres in Devon, Penrith and Little Hampton you can go for your mental health or physical health and to can be on their radar so they called us up three weeks in and said at last someone's targeting men could we come down and support you so they come down did a promotional video for us sent us out put it on the map other firefighters saw it And yeah, so fast forward now. And it's just snowballing. Oh, it's just, yeah, at a ridiculous rate. I mean, if every person opened a walk that I've spoken to in the last six months, we'd have about 50 walks across the country. Brilliant. So at the moment, I'm glad they haven't all come back because I don't (laughs) know how we'd do it. But what we have got, we've just opened our 13th walk with the Scottish Fire Service. That's a mixed walk so we started this for men and you know we've got lots of reason stats and proof behind that but we always say it's run by volunteers in their own time and it's good for everyone we carry on open men's walk because we've proved and seen how it helps men open up and talk but if anyone men or women want to do mixed walks or women only walks mm-hmm. we're more than happy they can come under our banner so we've actually got two mixed walks now We've one in Scotland, and we did a presentation at St George's University last year. And two of the female paramedics approached us after that presentation, and said, "You know, I know it's for men, but we could do this because we could do it in that." So we we said, "Well, we're you know join our team." So we trained them as walk leaders, and they've been leading for them over a year now. Every other Wednesday, just for them. A mixed walk for them, which is working really well. So, yeah, it's overwhelming. We're talking to services abroad now. You're a thought leader. Oh, like, <laughs> they, I mean, it's just overwhelming. Like We were contacted by mine, Samaritans, both contacted us and said, at last, I'm just targeting men in the services. Because they both said separately, but the same, they see so many men in the services, use their crisis line, go through their doors, without anywhere to start the conversation. So if you go on any of their sites, they've both done really good case studies. Mind in particular actually signposts now to us. So if you, a man in the emergency services, ring up for help and support, they actually tell you about where our walks are, which to Brilliant. us is like overwhelming. The two big game players mm. are saying
0: what we're doing is good. I imagine doing this role, Dean, you assume a lot of responsibility for other people's problems. And when I say that, I mean people come to you, they'll disclose stuff because they know you're a figure. Like... stuff that i do it's quite a responsibility isn't it so have you got yourself mental health first aid train for example and how much of responsibility did you feel initially when people are coming to you and saying you know this deep dark secret i've got i'm not going to tell anyone else but i'm going to tell you dean
1: yeah yeah i mean yeah we've done um me and the rest of the team have done mental health first aid course give us a bit better understanding but i'd already done lots of other you know courses um suicide and self-harm awareness for example you know kids and young adults mental health you know I've done lots of quality to give myself a better understanding anyway but what we always say to all our walk leaders you're not there as a like proper support and we
0: always say you're not you're not your therapist you know yeah, what I mean and, yeah.
1: and that's one thing we always state at the start of our walks in the first thing we do in the really therapy, important we yeah. explain you know we're not trained counsellors we're not here to give you advice and we actually say to everyone please refrain from giving anyone else advice yes because you could give wrong advice for the right reasons but what we say is it's a place to have an outlet and we can certainly signpost you. So we have a list of signposting so we talk to people and this is what we find week in week out as well guys turn up one sort of say they're not struggling by the end of it they're <laughs> admitting they're struggling but also you sort of say are oh, you getting help for that and a lot of them don't actually know where to get the help. You know, so it's
0: easy to tell someone reach out or whatever but if they don't know where yeah, to go. It's, yeah,
1: and it's really nice the amount of guys that then come back a week, two weeks later, and say, "I've been there now. I'm getting help and support."
0: You see the progress. Yeah, yeah.
1: You, you know, and even for myself, I know where to get help and support. But I, had, you know, I've had times since then, since we started this, where I've struggled, and it's taking someone externally to say to me, "Have you been here? Have you been there?" And I'm like, "Why didn't I go? I know to go there." You know, and also, like, I've fallen into the stigmas even since we've been doing this. So I literally do this on a day to day basis now, talking about men's mental health, talking about stigmas and breaking and all this. And a little while ago, I'd luckily, I'm now surrounded by guys that we look out for each other, we notice it, and we're confident to talk. I've had it recently. A couple of guys, you know, our walk leaders, very good friends of mine, have rung me up and said, Are you all right? And I go, Yeah, yeah. I I go, You're not all right. And I know you're not all right. What's going on? And then I talk. Mm. And then I sit back and think, Do you know what? I started that by going, no, no, yeah, I'm good, mate, I'm good. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm telling everyone else. So it just shows you how... Arse twice for st- all is massive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that man up attitude, that stigma. He's so ingrained with us, because I'm living and breathing this, and I keep falling into it. So I think mm. people that... It's like a muscle you've got to say, keep yes. using. Yeah. So it's so important we have to keep talking about showing it and providing these mm. spaces. Before we reflect, amazing you've had some
0: recognition for your work from some pretty big names. His Royal Highness Prince William, Mayor of
1: London people like even Joe
0: Wicks have given you
1: some support how does that does that all feel quite surreal when you get yeah, those letters yeah, in yeah. yeah yeah we got got a letter from prince william's office congratulating us on what we're doing yeah the mayor of london you know I've, just the fact that it's been spoken at that level and it wasn't like a generic it was a really good nice like, personalized actually, yeah, yeah. Looked into it, which is yeah amazing yeah Joe Wicks Dr Alex George you know sadly you know he lost his brother to suicide so it's something that's very close to his heart he actually come on one of our walks you know took some time out walked around with us and sort of said to us you know how much need it was so getting a professional doing that it's yeah it's, it's just really overwhelming like yeah like Matt Grevelyn coming down doing the um, the BBC London thing was yeah was yeah. fantastic you know I've spoke to him since and that and you know he puts out on his bought one of our t-shirts and put himself wearing it on one of his social so getting support from you know people that come in contact seeing the need for it is yeah just brilliant mm. and in the service as well you know we've got wfs which is women in the fire service have their own group so when we did this originally we were conscious it can be for men so we took it to them and said look what do you think we had four wonderful women part of the setup anyway and they come back unanimously they discussed it with the members in the service they come back and said you know for every woman they might have a Husband, husband, brother, brother friend, yeah, exactly, yeah, they yeah, see, yeah. need it and they're struggling, so they give the One sex wins, we all win, do you yeah. know what I mean? And then yeah. it went up to the National Conference, so Women in the Fire Service National across the whole country, they discussed it there, and from we got a recording message from Danny Cotton, who's our ambassador, holding up our poster saying, we give you full-back and support. We've got our rugby team, men's football team, women's football team, putting our logo on their kit, and they hold up Walk & Talk, play out a match at the end, you know, I look back when we started, just thinking it'd be one walk. To now, all the support you and your mate, yeah, yeah It's like amazing. It's like today, after here, I'm I'm going off to watch um our fibre brigade playing a football match because they give us massive support. Yeah, it's it's really overwhelming mm. how much it's grown and you know where it's at now and where it could go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're talking to different charities on a weekly basis. Literally, the conversations. You know, we're setting focus groups for local councils and areas for suicide prevention now because everyone's seeing how much. This is changing the shape of it, in particularly the service. Let's reflect
0: now. So, what has been your proudest achievement doing walk and talk and being a firefighter? You can either give two or you can give one.
1: Proudest. Um, I mean, it's quite. I think they both sort of mix with each other because, you know, I've done this off the back of what I've seen in the fire service. I think just the fact that I've done 20 years in the job next month, the fact that I've got to 20 years and I can honestly say it's the best job in the world. I think sometimes people look at go these services. It's a traumatic job. How do people stay burn out? All that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. But I would say all through that, I would never want to do anything else. I'm very privileged. The fact that I joined it, I suppose, is my biggest achievement. Is the fact that I actually did it. You know, got in and you took the leap. I'm glad I did. Yeah. Because like I say, I've I've loved every minute of it, and there's ups and downs. But I would never want to do anything else. It's a very proud job. I'm very I've am very. i never not wanted to go into work. I've always looked forward to it. And there's a reason people do a 30-year career in it, mm-hmm. you know, because it is a good job. So, yeah, that. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm immensely proud of what we've created with Walk & Talk. The fact that we stuck with it, the fact that we saw the need, and also the fact that it's a new thing as well. Like, we keep sort of pinching ourselves, saying, this is almost like a game-changer, really, because it's never happened before. And when we see we're on people's radar, it's like recently they last November there was an emergency services symposium. Like Prince William mm-hmm. started it off. He worked on the air ambulances and coming off that, he he said he was shocked at how much trauma the emergency services face, but how little support there is for mental health. So he got them all to sign a mental health declaration to do better. And last year again, it was one of the moments I think where we realised how much we were known out there because. We knew we were talking to lots of services. Like I've done so many presentations to so many services now, NHS, police, ambulance, fire service, all across the country. So we knew we were talking to them, but we got a call from the organiser saying, do you want to come down to this two day event where all the you know, the top wellbeing leads are and talk? So we were up there on the big stage talking to every service around the country. But what was nice when we sat and listened to other services, the amount of services that actually referenced us well, you were sitting there going, like, "That's us. <laughs> about us." You know, and we're up for next month. We're up for a BBC award, BBC Radio award. So just to even be on the radar is amazing. But to actually be shortlisted and be invited to the event, it's like fly me. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's just yeah. I have to keep reminding myself how big it's got because I still feel we're just one walking back. Because I, <laughs> you know, I still do the walking back, in, still do that. And then yeah, I have to keep reminding myself. We've got this It's become busy. bigger than you now, also, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and also I think one of the biggest maybe achievement or acknowledgement is it puts your faith back in humanity as well. Seeing how many decent people out there want to give their time up to support people and see how many people are turning up to support. Because a lot of people turn up on our walks that aren't struggling, just come to support it, and then we see them come back week after week and they say, actually, having an hour out of my time last week away from all my distraction really made me feel good. So we say whether you're struggling or not, Come and try it because it's good for everyone. Whether you're struggling, definitely come down to talk to us. Even if you're not struggling, just having an hour in your own time. So actually seeing this and like I say, seeing the support it's growing, the need and and it's nice talking to all these services and them acknowledging, particularly men's mental health, needs acknowledgement, needs a place to go.
0: And as a final question before we move on, mate, what has this wider firefighting journey from the very start to what you do now with walk and talk and
1: everything in between taught you about yourself? I think it taught me oh, I definitely wasn't as open with myself. I've learned to be more open, more honest, more accepting and look after myself more. I've realised it was all about getting other people talking, trying to sort everyone else's out. Yeah, I just think, I just think again, it's put more faith back in humanity because I think we all get caught up, you know, watching telly, seeing the news, yeah. <laughs> your job, everyone's moaning about pay rises, companies, you know, strikes, this, and you sort of look at the world and go, what is the point? And I think that's what it massively did for me. I think at the time... It sort of grounded you a bit more. Yeah, Yeah. at the time when I think I was probably struggling, you know, falling into that mindset of what is the point to everything, you know, everyone's moaning, everyone's moody, everything's going downhill, you know, everything's going up, costing us more, can't afford a holiday, can't afford this. I look now, and think, do you know what? When you meet with these people once a week, we talk to all the other walk leaders, you see across the country all these faces and all the people that want to get involved and all that. I look and go, do you know what? It makes you feel actually it is a good a good world and there is a lot of good in it and we need to sometimes just take some time out to appreciate it.
0: We've talked all about Dean the firefighter, a mental health support group leader. Now I want to dive a bit deeper and talk about your own mental health journey, mate. So i ask all my special guests this question on this topic first. Tell me back to early life, teenage years and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences? Who's the Dean we meet here?
1: Yeah, I think it's a bit weird, isn't it? Because I think when I was younger, mental health it wasn't a thing. No, you, know, wasn't, you didn't. It wasn't a thing in my it. day, no, mate. No, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it's hard to look back, but yeah, when I think about it as an adult, I think I struggled to find who I was and my place in life. I think mm-hmm. college was probably where I started enjoying life. School wasn't brilliant for me. I didn't really art school. Bit of a hard time there. Mm-hmm. And it's quite it's quite weird, isn't it? Because the way you perceive other people, like I've connected with a few people that I through this journey of seeing what I'm doing you know through social media and started speaking to a few people now from my school days mm-hmm. that I didn't really we didn't really have a lot to do with each other at school and hearing how they viewed me at school and me looking how I viewed their life it, it was quite an eye opener you know for example I, I, I really struggled at school to find my place yeah I wasn't treated the best but i speak to someone and their view of me was like oh you always had friends you, you were friends with everyone and I was like I did that because I flitted around because I didn't fit in with anyone. So he sees it as, I had lots of friends. You were
0: a social chameleon. Yeah, yeah.
1: you you know, he sort of said, oh, you know, your life, you wanted one of the people I looked at and thought, oh, I'd like to be, like, be more like him, he's friends with everyone. I was like, no, I used to do that because I didn't feel I fit in with everyone. Mm-hmm. So I used to try and find my place. So yeah, so it wasn't the best. Yeah, my childhood was, um, I think I had a good childhood at home. I was quite happy home life, things like that. Um, obviously you know we all have ups and downs don't we I don't think there's anything major I had good friends outside school I think that's what helped me massively I just had to get through the school day mm-hmm. and then as soon as I went home I'd have me mates that I'm still friends with now college yeah I think I found myself a bit more college I've got a circle of friends and I think people are a bit more grown up then isn't they, as well I think they you know they don't want as much out of you or at a word it is
0: People don't have as much energy. It's all grown up a bit, you know.
1: It's more like your friends, and you've grown out of that childish picking, bullying sort of thing. So, yeah, I think I found my people when I was, when I was at college. I enjoyed that. Yeah, later life jobs and that. Yeah, I didn't really have any direction to be honest. I look back, I just fell into jobs. I didn't really. Drifting. I never had a dream. I never had a goal. I never had, right, this is where I want to be in five years. This is a career I want to do. I think i see a job advertising. Oh, that's not bad money. I'll go for that. And mm. I ended up doing office work, things like that. So I went travelling, come back from that. And then when I found the fire service, I think, again, that's where I found. You found your found, calling. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I think I had struggles like most people had growing up. I don't think I had anything massively traumatic. Mum and Dad split up when I was probably about 15, so that was bit of a rocky that was a hard time you know going through that but again it's you know most people where parents split up it's a hard time isn't it Mm. you spoke earlier in the pod about depression and the eating disorder mate
0: and that developed about 11 years ago as you said so just tell me about the symptoms perhaps the origin of it and then how that eating disorder impacted your physical health Mm. and obviously your mental health
1: yeah i think it was i don't know whether it was like a sudden thing that happened but it was, to me it was probably like I said a jug analogy accumulation yeah. yeah I think there's lots of things going on I wouldn't talk about stuff you know whether it be at work or home or whatever I think it just all built up and I think you just got to a place where I couldn't cope but I didn't want to talk because of again all the stigmas you know I didn't want to admit to stuff admit I was struggling did you think that eating disorders were things that affected maybe women as well and not men? Did you ever, did you ever feel that
0: stigma at all? Uh, not really.
1: I, do you know what? I, I don't think I was really that aware that I had an eating disorder. It's only right. once I got through it, I looked back and think, yeah, that's pretty bad. I knew I weren't eating. I knew I was trying to hide it blatantly because, like I say, I'd always say to my wife, oh, yeah, remember, I, I eat at work, so don't do me dinner. And then at work, I'd get there and go, yeah, I don't want any dinner today. I'm, I'm going to eat at home. I'm going out have friends. I So I knew I was lying, but in a weird way, I was sort of in denial. So... I sort of was lying, but not really acknowledging I was lying. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I just dropped a ridiculous amount of weight. But I sort of looked back as well, and like we were saying earlier about going up to someone and saying, are you struggling? So people noticed. I was going to say, I mean, an eating disorder is one of the yeah. biggest red flags you can spot easily. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I lost about three stone in a very short time. You know, I went from like 13 stone to under 10 stone very quickly. But people would sort of, sort of say to me, Guy, really, you you're think not... you're in good nick? Yeah, Did no, they but, no, not? they used to say, like, you know, it's like banter with mates and that, so a lot of them take the mick out of me. You know, family go, do you think you look good losing all this weight? You know, you need to start eating. You know, you're mm-hmm. losing weight too. You're not looking good. But no one ever really sat me down and went, why are you losing it? You know, is something going on? Is there something wrong? I don't know whether I would have spoken about it or whether mm-hmm. it would have... But that's why I sort of say to people, try and start that conversation because I don't think anyone ever did. I think it was just, yeah, it was knowledge, but it was more said, you know, you need to put weight, stop losing weight. Put it on, and in a weird way, when people used to say that, it almost Makes encouraged it me to no, yeah. encourage me to oh, do more. With, yeah, yeah. yeah, When they notice, all oh, they notice, and I've tried, I almost set myself goals. Let's see if I can lose another two pound this week. Even mm-hmm. though I'd look in the mirror and go, "Yeah, don't look good," so I wouldn't, I wouldn't take my top off because I knew I look, didn't look good. But when I did, like in front of people, mm. when I was on my own, you know, I'd look and go, "Right, well, yeah, how much skinnier can? get? How much more can I get off my belt?" Fed how, the beast. Yeah, it was yeah. weird, and I think when I looked into it later years they sort of say when you feel like you're losing control in other aspects in your life that's why a lot of people go to eating Mm. disorder because it's one thing you can control and I think maybe that's what I was doing. luckily I come out the other side you know I got through it and I improved but again that was one of the reasons why when I go around talking to people I sort of say if you feel comfortable acknowledge it and ask people because no one did for me
0: Mm. at that point you were questioning yourself quite a lot and you were wondering why you were feeling like this when you had a lot of great things in your Mm. life again was that an invalidation Point for you.
1: So you're saying, you know, why am I feeling like this? I've got a great wife. I've got yeah, children. Think, good job. Yeah, you sort of berate yourself a bit, didn't you? And mm. I think again, that goes into all the stigma. I can't admit I'm struggling because everything's all right. What is the problem? You know, I've got nothing to moan about. So how can I moan? You know, and this is another thing we sort of say in our walks. You don't always have to have reason if you're feeling low. If you're feeling down. It's all right to admit it. It's all right to say, you know, I'm struggling. I'm, you know, I'm not doing well at the moment. We always feel we have to have a reason. Yes. So, like, if someone says, you know, I'm suffering from depression, you feel like, right, I better think up why I'm suffering from depression because I can't just say, I don't know, I'm just struggling. Mm. So, again, that's another another stigma with us. And we see it on the walks as well, you know, when we encourage people to talk. you let people that, you know, in a real bad place. And people say, well, you know, you can always see the clockwork going... I can't, I can't moan now because their life's terrible. You know, like you it because so you can pay yeah. some Everyone's journey yeah. is their journey. We got, yeah. we got a good friend of mine. You again, you might want to talk to him because his journey's is amazing. He's an ex, he's an ex-firefighter, good friend of mine. Used to be a well power lifter in the job, for the fire brigade. He's got motor neurons disease now, so he can't even lift his arms anymore. You see, like he's on, he comes on all our walks you've seen, but he's got amazing stories. So he's trying to raise awareness for motor neurons disease. He's done a skydive off Everest. He trekked recently, uh, Harry. The WMUT I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw him he was part of the expedition that went to he trekked to Everest with oh, them wow. to base camp that's just Cusper. you see the amazing thing he's done all trying to raise awareness and all without the use of his arms so he comes on the walks and he says obviously you know this horrendous disease that's killing him and you can almost see people go well how can I own and I've had a bit of trouble at home with my wife and he's, he's the first to say it doesn't matter well, yes I'm going through this but what you're going through matters If it's affecting your mental, it's important, and I think that's another stigma. And you'll hear it time and time again. Go, well, I've got nothing to moan about. I can't moan about that. Yes, you can. And this is what we're trying to break: is to say, it doesn't matter how big or how small it is. If it's bothering you, talk about it, and Mm. it matters.
0: What is your relationship like with food now? What tools did you develop then to get through it,
1: even overcome it? And how do you stop the beast from coming back? Well, I think I've gone the other way now. Unfortunately, I think I think I've got a very bad relationship with it. Eating way too much, oh and right, <laughs> the wrong stuff. Yeah, well, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. Do you know you see the thing every Monday we go right? This week we're going to eat healthy. This week we're going to eat healthy, and we don't. Yeah, I, at the moment I've, I think I'm okay. It hasn't gone that way. Like I say, I'm, I'm honestly probably gone the other way now. I'm um, eating too much and too unhealthy, so I need to sort of get that Find balance. The balance again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I think yeah, when I've struggled. Of recent years it hasn't seemed to manifest it again. I think I'm probably more conscious of it that I did that. But yeah, I yeah, I don't think I'm great with food either way to be honest. I think I <laughs> need to maybe look at my diet just in general, not because I'm struggling, just because I'm really bad with my diet at the moment.
0: <laughs> I wanna come back to firefighting a little bit here, mate, and, and your identity as your I think well, I think for a lot of firefighters perhaps their identity is tied to their job in many ways. Hmm. So you said to me, if I say I need saving Where does it leave me in the job? Tell me what you meant by that.
1: Yeah, so we spoke obviously earlier about the male stigmas that are already there. So then you join the emergency services or, you know, army, whatever. It comes with its own sort of stigmas that goes on top of that. So most of us join the job because we want to save lives. We want to be heroes. We want to be there at people's worst to make it better for them. And you're put on this pedestal, aren't you? You know, whenever I say what I do, people always go, oh, you're amazing, I couldn't do that job, you're brilliant, you know, hat off to you. So you put on this pedestal, everyone praises you, which is fantastic, but what that does, it sort of makes you think, right, I'm meant to be this hero, so how can I now come in and say, do you know what, I need saving, I need help, I need you to help me, I need some time off to get myself together, because I'm meant to be this hero to save you. So then you sort of start thinking, one, and again, it's unfounded, but it's it's a stigma that did stop me in the past. I think if I tell my watch that, are they going to worry about working with me? If I say I'm struggling with my... You know, it's, it's a stigma, isn't it? If you say you've, you're you struggling with mental health, if people never have struggled themselves, they should count themselves lucky, but a lot of people look at you, and you're worried that people look at you different, you know? Well, that's not me saying this is me forever. This is not me saying, you know, I'm going to go smashing things up. But you worry. if it wants, And once it's out there, it's out there, isn't it? You can't put it back in the box. So you think, if I tell people I'm struggling, and it's not well-received... Where's that going to be? So, again, it's finding the right people to talk to. And that's why, hopefully, with our walks, we've created a safe space to say, if that's a something that stops you, this is why we're here. And also, you worry a little bit if I say I'm struggling, and definitely if it's job-related, where's that leaving me my job? Is that me saying I can't do the job? You know, say that I'll go out to a car crash and that's affected me. If I now admit that's affected me, is that me saying I can't go out to car crashes anymore? Is that or me be giving saying I can't do off, the job? Doing it, yeah. yeah, it's realising it isn't that. It's just saying, you know, it's important to talk about it. And actually, you'll be better in your job for it because it won't be a trigger for you, hopefully, when mm. that happens again. You know you get that worry out, you process it, talk about it.
0: We spoke about balance with your diet, but how do we strike the balance then between not lionising firefighters too much but still having the respect for them and not denigrating the job or treating them badly? Because I know a lot of emergency service workers do get assaulted or mm. just treated with not very much respect when they do the job now. So how do we strike the balance between Not lionising them, but humanising them too. Because it's a difficult one, I guess. Because you don't want people
1: to stop saying, oh, you're Mm -hmm. great, you're amazing. But you you do
0: want them to say, oh, that must be a really
1: difficult job and just, you know, humanise it a bit more. I think people do know it's a difficult job, but this is, again, going back to people that have never done it, don't really get what a lot of it entails but I think for ourselves really I think it's more on us to and our organizations to take more stock into that part of us that tries to normalize it going well that's the job I join that's the job I do and actually sit back and go yes it is the job I do but it's okay for that job to affect me I think we need to give ourselves a break more and we need to with each other acknowledge that more and check in a lot more it's like when I talk to people I sort of say you know again I talk about say car crashes. we do a lot of them So we normalize it so we say it's part of my job so if i go out to a car crash i probably won't allow myself to think about how it's affecting me because i think well i do it all the time but actually it's important to go it's okay if it's bothering me even if i do it all the time i always say to people you know we could go out and do a very simple someone's locked themselves out of the house get them in and that could trigger something from my past that i didn't even know was there but because it's seen as a very simple thing i will probably think well i'm not telling anyone Geez, how can I tell someone this sucks? is an easy yeah, task yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but actually it's all right. If it has upset, talk about it you know process it, get through it. and I think that's what we need to do more is say it's okay for this stuff to affect me and it's okay to ask for help because I think too long and too many of us think it's my job I do, I have to be all right, and like I said before, there's a difference between having to be okay and working a way to be okay mm-hmm. through it and that's where I think we get a bit misguided with it. And how do you
0: separate yourself, Dean? The Dean, the firefighter, from Dean, the man, the husband,
1: the father, the friend, the person? Um, I think when you join the service, you're always part of that, you know. So when I'm out and about, you've always got that training. So if something's happened, you know, quite often, like quite a few times in my life, I've seen a car crash when I'm in my own time or, you know, someone's had a fall or I've been out. Unfortunately, with, you know, someone's had a fit in front of me. And your training kicks in. So I think there's an element when you're in the service, you're always in the service. I don't think you're ever 100% off duty. You're always duty. on duty. Yeah. yeah, you're always looking for things. You're always, you know, like a lot of us, even though we weren't like me, you might be in a restaurant, you'll be looking there eating and you're looking around, looking at all the fire exits and the smoke alarm and thinking, <laughs> eh, they shouldn't be doing that. You know, yeah, I think you, there's always that element that you're always on duty. That's always, you know, part of you. But yeah, I think just the side, you just try and have that divide a bit in the fact that, like I say, you've got to talk about it because otherwise it will cross over more. You know, you will have low days. You know, I've got friends that have had dads, you know, that used to be in a lot like police service that say, I've seen them come home and, you know, be grumpy, be u- upset, not be happy. Because sometimes you can't, you know, it's going to be with you naturally sometimes when you're off.
0: And as we reflect on your mental health journey, mate, similar questions before, what has this mental health journey, first of all, taught you about yourself?
1: Yeah, like I said earlier, I think the one thing it has taught me, one, it's made me look back at my past and realise There's been a lot of times when I've struggled to one extent or another and definitely haven't acknowledged it, definitely haven't dealt with it. And there's still probably a lot of things that I haven't and I should sit and talk to someone about and deal with and process, and I will over time. But, yeah, and it's also shown me how much, you know, talking does help and how important it is and how important it is that we provide these safe spaces because I've seen it firsthand. Like I say, we've had over 80 guys join our walks. We've got all these walks nationally, we're talking on a regular basis, seeing how it's changed. But yeah, and I think it's it's taught me how embedded some of these stigmas are. Because like I say, even of late, I've shut down and not spoke and it's taken someone else. And it's quite scary. And how important it is really to take that time for yourself. Because we always I always say to people as well, like at the end of our walks, we will say, think about one thing you're gonna do for yourself in the next week. Because we all got busy lives. You know, like I might be at work all day and have a young family, so if I come home and say I want to go to the gym how can I do that? Because I need to be at home. But actually, if I did go to the gym, have that me time. You'd be a better dad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everyone else is going to benefit. And I think Mm -hmm. it's trying to get that balance. And letting people acknowledge, take self-care. One thing we do, like I do a presentation and I put a list of possible signs that you could be struggling a bit, you know, with your mental health. The reason I do that is I sat in, only a little while ago, I sat in a lecture about burnout and they did signs of burnout. And I realised I was hitting every single one of them. And it made me realise, actually, I'm close to burnout. Had I not seen that list, I probably would have hit burnout. But what it did, it made me put stuff in place. So I sort of say to people, just take a step back sometimes. Take a bit of you time. It's important to have you time. Because I don't think a lot of us do. I think most people, in a caring way, look after everyone around them and don't actually do a lot of me time. You know, a bit of self-care, a bit of self-wellness. I think, yeah, I've learnt that, how important self-care is.
0: And as a final question, if you could go back and talk to the Dean who was in the depths of that depression and eating disorder, the dean who just put out that massive fire at oncey Flats, or the dean who was wondering whether he should do that first walk in the park in 2021, what would you say to him, knowing what you do now?
1: Um, again, for me, it's just all about the talking. I'd say talk to people, reach out. You know, I'm very lucky, and I appreciate it. not everyone has that. I've got a supportive family, friends, watch. So I had that support network, and I didn't use it. And when I did use it, I said, I would have definitely used that earlier. But also, if you haven't got that, know that there is support out like I always say to people, don't struggle in silence. No matter what time of day or night it is, there is support available now 24-7. And it's not one size fits all. You've got counselors that you can do face-to-face. Some people don't like face-to-face. You've got a service now called like Shout Blue Light. Definitely an emergency service. You can have a text conversation with a counsellor. There's something for everyone. Mm -hmm. So I would tell myself back then, there's so much available. If you don't want to use this, use that. Yeah, and with the walks, I would say, stick with it. You know, it was a long road. It took us a long time (laughs) to get up and running. But 100%, I would go back and say, whatever you do, stick with it. It is needed. It will grow. And it'll be game-changing. And, you know, and it's changing whatever way we look at it. Seeing the faces each week, turn up week after week. Here, getting the feedback, we have changed so many lives for the better already, and we've only been out a short time that it is going to be life changing for some people, so stick with it, don't give up one of the things I did there's lots of lots of let' say walks in the community so you've got like proper blokes club, men walking talking you've got a guy called Chris that does we power on you've got a lady that does men against mountains you know so there's lots out in the community, so when I originally started this, I spoke to a few of them and said any advice we're thinking about doing one for the services. Mm-hmm. The one thing pretty much they all said, stick with it they said. Don't expect anyone to turn up, because nature of the beast. If you do a walk, and this is what I say to anyone that starts walk with us, do it for yourself. Do the walk for yourself, like you're doing your own time out for yourself. It's good for your mental health. Pretend no one's coming, because if you're doing it expecting people to turn up, they're not at first. And because if you did it and thirty guys turned up, there's not a problem. Almost the fact that it takes time for the walks to get traction, get people coming, proves that. Um, so yeah, the one bit of advice they said to me, stick with it. It's needed, it will work. Because one of them in particular said to me, he turned up every week for a whole year on his own. No one turned up. He's now got 14 walks. He has hundreds of guys each week turning up on these wow. walks, getting help in sport. He goes... That is real persistence, yeah, that. Yeah. So a whole he, year on yeah, your own. So he, said, so, do it, so he said, do it for yourself and don't do it expecting people to turn up. And then you can't go wrong.
0: Our final topic of conversation, Dean, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests, if we have time. It is a general natter and quick fire chat about our mental health. So firstly, how is your mental health, mate?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in a good place at the moment. Yeah, everything's going well. Yeah, no, no complaints at the moment. Excellent. And what mental health conditions, if any, do you live with, and how do they affect you in your day-to-day life? Um, I'd say I have quite a lot of lows, and I notice... I'm not that great at noticing when I'm getting low, and then I realise... That's look, a
0: stereotypically men thing, isn't yeah. it? We only
1: notice when we get to crisis mode, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> but I, I notice more, and I'm trying to get better at it, because I react badly to little situations. You know, little thing, and i I blow up, and I think, that's not even that big a deal. Mm. And then I sit back and go, oh, actually, I'm, I'm obviously not... I'm struggling a bit, and then what I've learned is I'll go and do something for myself, or I will talk to people, I will, you know, do something to get me quickly out of that, mm-hmm. whereas... Is- you know, years ago, it would have just, I would have just carried on all like that. Yeah.
0: yeah. What age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health, and you realised that the feelings you were having were physical, and they were actually in
1: your mind? I'll be honest with you. I, I probably didn't really notice until I started looking at doing the walks, probably in 2018. Wow. I obviously struggled. Mm-hmm. But I just went through it like I say. I didn't really acknowledge. You didn't. You didn't connect the two. No, you know? no. I didn't even think about it. Like I say, I, did, I probably didn't want to admit it. The mouse stigma. No, no. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm typical. Yeah, everything's good. How are you? Yeah, everything's all right. It's only when we started this journey and I, I sat back and thought, right, let me ever think about. No, yeah, I remember. I was really upset in that. Yeah. Well, no, sorry. It's probably yeah, 2016. That's probably when I know after after the um, the incident with the tram. I think that's probably one time when I went. I'm not coping. I physically can't cope.
0: Did it feel like a eureka moment at that point? Yeah, it was just yeah. just a weird like a light place bulb to be. Yeah. On. yeah, yeah. I
1: just thought I can't because I think i had done the man thing before. Even when I, you know, when I went through that year of feeling very down, very not like maybe depression, I got through it. And I think the man up actually don't tell when I don't tell when I got through it. I think that was probably the first stage where I sat there and thought, I'm not getting through this. I don't know how I'm getting through it. Yeah, and I thought. I've got to do something to sort this.
0: And can you remember the first conversation you ever had with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What did you say? And how did it feel? Did it feel like on the one hand, this big moment or a weight had been lifted or on the other, something quite easy
1: and normal to do? No, I'll tell you what, it felt really scary Mm -hmm. because I literally, I felt almost like backed into corner. Like if I don't do it, I don't know where I'm going because I literally put it off for so long. Like I say, my wife kept saying to me on a daily basis, you got to talk. You're acting weird. You got to talk. You're acting weird. And I was just like, no, 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 no. And then I literally got to a stage where I was like, I physically can't cope anymore. You know, I was I was starting to almost have flashbacks of old jobs, faces, sounds of stuff I hadn't even thought about in years, years gone by. I thought, well, what am I suddenly thinking about all this? And I thought, I'm really not coping. I went sleeping, and yeah, I literally got to a stage where it went on for so long that I just thought. I just need to talk with someone. And like I say, I went back into work and just went, Look, can we have a cup of tea? And so, I mean, I, I'm comfortable with Watch anyway, because like I say, we're like brothers and sisters. But yeah, it was it was a scary thing to do. But then when I did it, and also it's that thing, how's it going to be received? Are they all going to go, You're an idiot? Mm. You know, because of that man attitude in my head, I'm thinking they wouldn't. But I was thinking at the time, they're going to turn around and go, Blimey, mate, you need to, you need to go off, off the run. You need to be out of work. You can't be here. But it wasn't. It was the opposite. You know, it was. They received it well, they talked well, and we all spoke openly. And you mentioned there about
0: things triggering you. So what things do you find in life that trigger your mental health? It could be a sensation, a sound, being in a particular social
1: environment, or have you not figured all of them out yet? No, I think for me it's a journey. It's different things. I think sometimes I think I let a lot of little things build up, mm-hmm. and then it just gets a bit overwhelming for me. And then I notice I'm getting ratty, short-tempered, and that, and I think, well, I need to take a step back. And and then what I do, I sort of try to look at things and think right well, what can I help to get better and mm-hmm. what things are out of my control and I sort of try and put them in in an order mm. and then try and start knocking them off that list to say right now I'm better because yeah I thought I find for me yeah particularly it's a build-up normally a build-up of lots of little things mm. that can be dealt with and what other positive tools and methods do you use to improve your mental health? which ones have worked maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't um, I've never personally been to counselling, which I probably should try, even if it's just to figure out that you don't need it. <laughs> yeah, or just to see how it works, you know. Because I get counselling in as much as I've read, spoke to people, hear how it works, but I've never seen it first hand. Definitely the talking, I'm getting better at that. I think for me, the walks as well. I still don't open up as much as I should, but actually, when I go um, on the walks. It gives me that space and I'm using it. I'm actually using it as I need to use it as well, as I'm trying to get other people to use it. Like I say, recently I struggled a little bit and I realised actually on the walk I was just, it was such a good stress release. Yeah, talking, talking to, opening up to my wife Lisa a bit more. Yeah, I think for me it's just, talking just really helps and I've just got, but I've got to use it more and do it more and do it quicker. I think that's what I'm learning is do it quicker. Don't be like I'm trying to tell everyone else to be, not sit there and go. I'm like, when I know I'm not, actually face it and talk about it earlier, get through it quicker. What is the best
0: book, or as I call it, mental health bible you've read for your mental health? Now, it can be mental health or self-help related. It doesn't exclusively have to be. And if you can't think of a book, a album, a TV
1: show, any piece of popular culture has helped. Yeah, I I think for me, watching anything funny like Friends, something like that, just... You want the escapism? Yeah, just yeah. saying. I'm off. very visual. Yeah, like when yeah, yeah. I use, for example, when I go to the gym, listening to music to me is no good. going. It just doesn't help one bit. Having something phys- like to watch where I can lose myself in it. So anything I can just switch off and. You're like, watching
0: a TV show on the treadmill, aren't you? Yeah, no, <laughs> you no that's them. what I do. Yeah, yeah, I
1: do. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 can't get, I can never get my head around <laughs> people who yeah. do that. See, I can't do music. If I put music on, it's a struggle. I can't. Really? Yeah, I just can't okay. do it. Even when I'm out and about, I'd sooner listen to a podcast or a comedy or something. I have to. Have, have that side of it but for me I think what helps as well over the years I've done quite a lot of studying and qualifications in mental health so understanding it a bit more the triggers mm. the whys and wherefores the red flags yeah, yeah and also you know better understanding you know, we're all judgmental of other people when they do things but seeing actually no that's that's not what it's definitely like big item of me is like how to treat and talk to people about suicide you know it's it's always a taboo subject and you know the misconceptions that if someone's thinking of taking their own lives you, nothing you can do for you know you're not going to talk them out of it and you know realizing no it's not actually it's, it's okay you know because a lot of people are scared to say that word are you thinking of suicide you know are you thinking about taking your own life but actually when I did the study Realising no, it's it's okay to talk about it, and it, actually it's important to talk about it, and not make it a taboo, and actually that can help people. Yeah, stuff like that. But yeah, I think yeah, read, reading, you know, autobiographies of you know famous people in a weird way helps because I think a lot of people you know see famous people. Robin Williams prime example. Mm. You know, we see it and go, they got everything, they got the life, you know, the life that I wish I had. And then when you read about these people, you go geez, they've been for a lot in their life and they're really struggling and, you know, in a weird way it makes you connect more and feel more normal because I think, again, that's another stigma. You know, people like the Instagram life, isn't it? you see these pictures of people on their holiday at their best and you go, they've got a great life, mine's worse because look at their life. But when you look beyond the picture, you go, actually, they're not as not as happy or as good as we think they are. If there was a mantra in life that summed up your mental health, what would it be and why? Uh, i me, I suppose, just keep walking and talking. I thought you were going to say yeah, that, yeah, so that's why yeah. I asked the question. I've got, <laughs> I've got to, even if if, if if I didn't believe it, I'd have to say it, wouldn't I? But no, no, it is for me just walking and talking. Just We started it to help people, but actually seeing how it's helping us and it's me, a movement me personally. Now, isn't it? Yeah, but mm-hmm. me personally, you know, each week if we go on holiday and I miss the Tuesday or something, or you know, I can't do it for a reason, I really miss it. And then when I'm on it, like when Tuesday comes around, I go there walking around with people. Breaks up your week, yeah, doesn't it, I imagine? yeah just having that hour or two just engaging with people. I didn't appreciate, like I say, we did it to help others, but actually how it's helped us as well, you know, me personally, has been a game changer for me as well.
0: What qualities
1: do you love about yourself? Um, I'd say the care inside. I mm-hmm. think. I'm always trying to help people, um, look out for people. My whole life's always been really trying to make people happy if someone's struggling. I feel I'm always normally the first one to message connect go around there i like that trait and i think sometimes life can quite a few times over my life i've sat back and thought i ain't doing that anymore you know it's it's hard or when you don't get it back sometimes as well it's hard you know when you give to people and when you're struggling it's not reciprocated and you think i've always reached out to you and you know i'm struggling you're not reached out to me Mm -hmm. sometimes it's you gotta cut those people out, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, you. Yeah, you learn you, the hard yeah, way. Trust no, you me. should do. But yeah. it's. it's tr- I think I'm quite proud of myself that I've not let it change me. Because quite often I sit back and I, I sit to wife, oh, right. I'm not doing it anymore. That's it. It's gonna be a new me. I'm not. I'm not doing this anymore. F- you know, for everyone because no one cares. And then I very quickly go back to. Do you know what? People do need help. Do need support. And it's fine. Yeah, I think that's a nice trait. I've not let it corrupt me to get bitter and twisted and mm. you know turn the other way and you know not be caring.
0: And as a final question, mate, what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds, all walks of life, all jobs, feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues? or just their general mental health, if, most importantly, they want to do it.
1: Yeah, I think it's, one, not to force people. That's a really important thing. I think too many people try to force people. Right? Yes. Like, you got to talk. This is there. Get in here talk. And that's what sometimes I feel with the that's what I closing hate about the, environment. The, yeah, that's what I hate about is, it sometimes. Yeah, you go around in a circle. I'm here. I've got to talk. Like, you share. You share. Not forcing people. And that's what I like about our walks. And some people don't talk, and you don't have to, and there's no pressure. I think we've got to carry on this, you know, it's okay not to be okay. But we've also got to provide the places. Mm. You know, it's all well and good, you know. I've seen people that have struggled for years finally say, go to a doctor, say, I need help. Yeah, you need help. We'll put you on a waiting list. It'll be here. You know, and you go, well, how's that helping his mental health? He's finally opened that can, and now he's got to wait a year. So I think, one, we've got to encourage it. Two, we've got to do it in a right, sensitive way, and it's got to be their choice. And... We gotta find places and that's what I like about the walks of growing and the fact that there's so much out in the community now. You I talked to someone that does quite a lot with I think government with like mental health prevention and that and they were saying it's nice because the ones in the community actually seem to work better sometimes in the clinical stuff because they're non invasive, they're there for the right reason, there's no monetary incentive, there's no promotional incentive, it's all run by people that wanna legitimately help and in a way I think you're seeing a lot more of that popping up in, the, in society where people are doing it themselves and it's working but i got Andy's Man Club. Yeah. You know, that's a prime example. Finally starting
0: in London now we have got a yeah. couple of clubs now in London. Yeah, we spoke yeah. to a
1: few, few guys that run them, you know, it's, it's just proof that actually that's saving lives sometimes a lot better but even the professional stuff isn't available. We need more available and it's not one size fits all but also leading by example, you know, that's what all our walk leaders do. They start off they talk themselves, which then you're showing vulnerability and you're proving it's okay to talk and it's encouraging others. So just just starting the conversations, really, but in the right way. Dean, it's been an absolute pleasure on that brilliant note. Thank you so much for coming
0: on the Just Checking Podcast and talking to me, mate.
1: Cheers. Thanks, thanks for having me.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Just Checking In pod. I want to say a massive thank you to Dean for being my special guest on this episode's pod and for letting me check in with him. I will put some links to where you can find out more about Walk & Talk in the show notes. If you want to find out more yourself or if you are a member of the emergency services, come along to a walk in your local area. Dean is doing an absolutely amazing job, so please do access that if you are struggling with your mental health and you feel it will be useful for you if you are in the emergency services. I'll sign us off by saying, remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about the podcast and VENT. If you're feeling generous, please write us a review and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and help us out with the algorithms. If you like what we're doing here at VENT and want to support us further, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com slash VENT Help or go to our link tree, that's www.linktr.ee slash venthelpuk to find out more about all the financial ways you can support VENT and the podcast. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember guys, it is always okay to vent.